Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said, quote, It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. Do you have zeal for Jesus Christ? Are you excited about your relationship with Jesus always, or just when you are in church or around other Christians? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 4 and look at the incredible opportunity we have to be increasingly zealous for Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Sunday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to know his love for you, spending time in the scriptures, spending time reading your Bible, studying your Bible, meditating on your Bible, memorizing your Bible, memorizing the scriptures, above all, obeying the scriptures, right? It's it's in doing these things that we grow to know Jesus. Relationship takes work, right? You're not saved. You don't come into the relationship by any work you've done. You enter relation. You enter the relationship and receive the relationship by by grace alone, by God's grace grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But from there, growing in that relationship is like any relationship. It takes time and effort. And as you apply yourself to the to the Word of God, as you take spend time in prayer and fellowship with other believers and praise and worship and thanksgiving, repentance. Um, by the grace of God, we grow in our relationship with Jesus, right? So there's nothing better or more important in our lives. I mean, uh, I think I say it every time, but it, it bears repeating. You can never say it enough. There's nothing more important in our lives, right, Rap, than spending more and more time with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then one day we'll leave this life. Either Jesus will come get us or we'll leave this life at our death and we'll go to be with Jesus and be with him for eternity. And there's just nothing better than that. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Um, today, the plan is to finish Galatians 4, which is verses 17 to, to 31. It's just been an incredible study in this book of Galatians. I mean, it's just such a a faith building book, you know, um, when you, when, you know, when you see that, that this guy, the apostle Paul, who used to be Saul of Tarsus, he is absolutely the author of this book, right? All historians virtually agree. All right. There's, there's always crazy outliers, but that there is really no question that this man, Paul wrote this book of Galatians. And when you, when you really study it and see the things that he wrote, I mean, you come away with either knowing for certain that Jesus is the Christ and that God is real and that we are sinful people and we need a savior and that savior is only God the Son, Jesus Christ. Either you come away with that or you come away with this man, Paul, just had to be insane or crazy or delusional or the greatest liar in the world, which, is, which of course is absurd, okay? When you read these words, right, it, this man means what he says. You come away saying to yourself that absolutely what's written here 
The man who wrote it, Paul, believes it wholeheartedly. Okay, so again, he's not lying. Right. Matter of fact, he goes completely out of his way. And I think it's chapter one, verse 20 to say, I assure you that what I am writing you is no lie. Again, I believe that's what chapter one, verse 20. Let me look real quick. Um, yes, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. This is all real. OK, God is real. Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is real. We have a real triune God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. We have one God, okay? Um, one being, right? Um, that represents himself in three separate, distinct persons, okay? Uh, you and I are human beings, that's what we are. We are human beings. You know, what God is, is he's God. But who we are, right? My name is John Morton. Whatever your name is, that's who you are. Okay. So what God is, is God. Who he is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three separate, distinct persons. Okay, and in Christ, we have a relationship with all of them. God the Father is our heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and Master and King. God the Holy Spirit is our, is our guide, our counselor, our comforter. Again, one God, three separate persons who are all God. All right, the mystery of the Trinity is hard to understand, um, but there is so much in the essence of God, like you and I are human beings and we're represented by one person. I'm a human being and my personhood or my personality or who I am is John Morton, right? Um, God is, is, is so immense. There's so much to him that he's represented in three separate persons. Again, it's, it's, it's remarkable. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Wow. All right. Whew. All right. Let's roll. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these scriptures. I thank you for this book of Galatians, Father. I just thank you for our Bible. I thank you that we have this Bible, Father. We can study your word and feed ourselves in your word and feed our whole spirit, soul, heart, mind, and body, Lord. Fill us, Father, today with your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We ask you to open our heart in your word today to receive your word. But above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for willingly becoming a human man for us for living a perfect righteous life for us, for dying a perfect, righteous, torturous death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen. We worship you, Jesus. We commit this time into your hands now, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, Galatians 4, 17 to 31. Remember, Paul is uh, is defending the gospel of Christ. Um uh, these these quote-unquote super-Christians were coming in. They were Jewish, and they were saying that Jesus was not enough. You had to believe in Jesus, but you also had to 
to follow all the laws of Moses. You had to follow all the traditions. You had to be circumcised. If you were a man, you had to follow, follow all the dietary laws. So they were saying Christ is not enough. It was Jesus and you putting in all your effort to obey the law. Uh, it's categorically untrue. And the Apostle Paul is going to vehemently defend, led by the Holy Spirit, as that's why it's Holy Scripture, right? As it's inspired by the Spirit of God. And Paul's going to vehemently defend that and say, there's nothing we add to Christ. None of our good works, none of our good life help us get saved. We're saved by putting our faith, trust, reliance, confidence, and clinging to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right, Paul picking up Galatians 4, 17. And remember, again, these people are coming in and trying to, to win these Galatians over to not just believing in Christ alone and trusting in Christ alone, but to, to add the law and the works of the law and all their efforts to Christ. And in verse 17, Paul says, those people are zealous, verse 17, to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband." Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. This is just, again, incredible, incredible stuff. I mean, you got to lock it in here um, and we're going to go deep here. All right, Esther, Becky, you locked in. All right. All right. Verse 17. Whew. All right. <clears throat> wow. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. So again, these, uh, these, these quote-unquote Jewish Christians, they weren't real Christians. A real Christian is someone who's trusting in Christ alone. 
A real Christian is someone who's relying and clinging and has full confidence in Jesus alone and nothing else for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. These people were coming in and saying, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but then you got to do this, 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 and this and follow the whole Old Testament. It's utterly unbiblical. Okay. There's nothing we add to the cross of Christ. If we added to the cross, we could then boast. We would stand before God and say, yeah, we appreciate you sending Jesus. Jesus, we appreciate that torture you went through. But you know what? I also lived this really good life over here. And that's why I'm in heaven because of you and me. It'll never work. The best five minutes I lived, if you took that and added it to what Jesus did, would send me straight to hell. Okay? Salvation again. The forgiveness of my sins. The salvation of my soul. The deliverance from eternal hell separated from God comes through faith and trust and reliance on Jesus alone. Right? It's me understanding my hopelessness helplessness, my desperation. There's nothing I can do but humble myself, lower my pride and say, Jesus, I know that I'm a hopeless sinner, but I believe you are the son of God. And I believe you lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe you're alive and risen today. And Lord Jesus, I therefore place all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone to be my everlasting Lord and God. I ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life, and to save me from my sin, and to bring me to heaven when I die, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name I pray. That's how you become a Christian, okay? If you're not sure you're a Christian, you can back up the tape. Use the words I use, but remember, it's not words that save us. We use our words to communicate our heart to the Lord, but it's the genuineness, the sincerity, the authenticity of your heart that matters, right, Jason? All right. All right, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. Again, their hearts weren't pure. <clears throat> they were being very loving. They were being very convincing. But their motive was not for these people to have zeal for Christ, but they wanted the Galatians to have zeal for them and their agenda, okay? Regrettably, this spirit, this evil is alive and well all over the church today, all over the world, okay? It doesn't matter what church you're in. And what I mean by that is whatever church building you're in, whatever denomination you're in, denomination, I mean, you know, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopalian, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, um, you know, Catholic, all of them, right? There's like 1,100 denominations. And all the little church buildings we have scattered everywhere. Wherever you are, okay, one of the biggest problems in the church today is there's more zeal for the church. There's more zeal for our denomination. There's more zeal for our little clique. There's more zeal for our little building than there is for the kingdom of God, the son of God, and the word of God. And if that is the case, okay, um, you need to express your concerns to the leadership of the church. If they won't listen and leave, okay, our job is not to advance ourselves and our church and our ministry and, you know, our denomination. Listen, I'm guilty of this myself, 
Okay. All of us want to see our churches growing and, and doing well, and we want to see people coming. But our zeal cannot be for the advancement of the local church. It was never, ever, ever the focus. Okay. The local church is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. Matter of fact, there's not going to be any local church in heaven, right? The, 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 the church is given to us by the Lord, okay? And now what I'm talking about is, I'm not talking about all the little buildings, but, you know, the church is given to us, right? So that we might grow to know Jesus more deeply, that we might grow to know him more intimately, and that we would live our lives in the service of the kingdom of God and of the Son of God in preaching and teaching and living and obeying the word of God. Okay, that's the purpose of any church, any ministry, and any denomination is to drive you and I first to salvation in Jesus Christ <clears throat> and then to living for him. Okay, Peyton? If your church is not doing that, then you need to express your concerns that, listen, it sounds to me when I'm listening to messages, it sounds to me when I'm listening to pulpit preaching, it sounds to me when I'm reading bulletins, like, you know, you know that everything here is more about our church than it is about Jesus and the kingdom of God. I've said this before, you know, when, uh, you know, when we first went into full-time ministry, you know, about, I don't know what it is now, 13 years ago, maybe. And, uh, you know, I'd been living as a disciple of Jesus Christ and working a, you know, a full-time job, you know, but, uh, we went into full-time ministry and we began to write a monthly newsletter. And, uh, you know, I had a, uh, at the time, just a man who was, uh, sowing into my life, you know, wise, older man, name is Gerald. And, uh, you know, when, he, when uh, I showed him the first newsletter, you know, and this was the very first one. And I'm telling you, it impacted me to everyone. And we've done one every month now for like the last 13, 14 years, whatever it's been. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Literally every single month by the grace of God. Um, but he read it. And he said, you know, John, this is wonderful. You know, it's, to the extent that, you know, you've shared everything that you're doing, um, you know, and just all the, you know, the different testimonies and what the, the ministry is doing and what it's accomplishing. But, you know, when people read this, you know, perhaps they'll, they'll, they'll give some money and, you know, but really what they're going to come away with is that you're doing the work of the gospel and of the kingdom of God. And I'm paraphrasing here, but, uh, you know. They're not driven to do anything. And man, that convicted me when he said that. Because my job isn't to just continue to promote my ministry, to continue to pr promote kingdom discipleship. My job is to promote the word of God, the son of God, and the kingdom of God. We redid that letter, right? Um, and, you know, ever since, uh, there's not one exhortation that speaks about anything that we do. All it is, is teaching the scriptures. And every month, a letter comes out that exhorts people to, to know Christ, to receive him, and to live for him more devoutly and more effectively. And so I was blessed. And thank you, Gerald, for that exhortation. Again, because our job is not to advance our own little cause, our own little ministry, our own little church, our own little building. Our concern and our zeal needs to be for Christ. So these people, again, are coming in and they want to win you over. And there's just this tremendous territorialism in the church today. 
right? Everybody wants Christians going to their church or being a part of their ministry. And again, we do have a flock in our ministry. We do have a flock in our church and we certainly need to serve them. But this jealousy and this zeal for our ministry and our church is wrong. It's sin and Father, I ask you to forgive us. Verse 18, it is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I am with you. Our zeal needs to be for Christ. Our zeal needs to be for Jesus. Our zeal needs to be to advance the kingdom of God, the son of God, the gospel of God, and the word of God in and through Jesus Christ in every manner and in every way, in any church, in any ministry, wherever we are. Okay. And that's the kind of ministry. These are the kind of people. And these are the kind of churches you want to be around. Now, listen, um, I'm not just telling you to go up and, you know, just leave a church because very few churches do this. We're working on it. But my point is, don't be afraid to say to your pastors or your elders, listen, you know, um, like again, when, when, you know, when I gave that first letter to Gerald, you know, don't be afraid to say, listen, it just seems that there's a whole lot going on here where you're just consistently telling me more about what's going on at church, more, more about what's going on at, you know, at, at, at your ministry than it is about you exhorting us in the Son of God and in the Word of God. And so now if they're unresponsive to that, if they don't want to hear it, if they don't want to listen to you at all, then yes, up and go and look for a place where the zeal is more for Christ more for the word of God, more for the son of God, more for the kingdom of God than it is for the advancement of the particular denomination or local church or ministry. All right. It's fine to be zealous. Again, we ought to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, which means it's about Christ, and to be so always and not just when I am with you. We ought not turn on the zeal. Okay. Again, this is an epidemic in Christians today. That, you know, oftentimes when when we're around church leaders or more devout Christians, boy, our zeal goes up three or fourfold. Everybody can recognize this in their hearts, right? Uh, we want to continue to be growing in our zeal for Christ Monday to Saturday, right, Pop? Meaning, uh, and not just on Sunday. So we ought to continually have a heart to know Christ, to live for Christ, to bring Jesus Christ into every aspect of our lives, Melanie spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. We ought to be about Jesus and his kingdom. Our zeal ought to be increasing and it ought to be always, not just when we're around other Christians, okay? Again, another area of repentance for all of us. Father, just help us and forgive us. Verse 19, my dear children, <clears throat> for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So again, he says, my dear children, for whom, I'm, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Uh, these people were saved. They had given their life to Christ and they were born again spiritually. But now Paul is questioning whether they ever really were born again spiritually. It's as if they needed to be born again again right? Which again, you can't do, but Paul is laboring to make sure they understand the true gospel. All of us as Christians, and of course us as, as, as ministers and elders and pastors and deacons and all this, church leaders, 
all of us ought to continually be in the, chain, in the pains of childbirth with those around us. And what does that mean? That we're consistently trying to get them established in the gospel of Christ, that we want to, to get them to a place where they are completely, totally, and only trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul, that they have received Christ as Savior and they're clinging to him alone for their deliverance from hell and for spiritual and eternal life and to go to heaven when they die. In that place, they are born again. They're alive spiritually. When someone genuinely receives Jesus Christ, they, they, they have a spiritual rebirth. And that ought to be an intense focus of our life all the time is to, is to be in the pains of childbirth, to see that all those around us, all those the Lord brings into our circle are truly born again spiritually, right? That they're, that they're spiritually alive, right? That they've received Christ as Savior. And so Paul is having to go back and do this with them all over again. He did it once. But now again, these teachers were coming in, they were imposing their beliefs, they were being loving and thoughtful and winsome, but they all had an agenda in it. And so Paul's having to protect them, and that's our job as well, to protect people from a false gospel, a misunderstanding of the gospel. Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I'm perplexed about you. So he knows that he's coming off heavy-handed. He knows that he's rebuke them. He knows that in his passion and his zeal to make sure they're not, they're not having another gospel, as he said in chapter one, that they're remaining faithful and pure to the true gospel of Jesus Christ alone, right? He knows that his tone is heavy. There are times when we need to have a loving tone, but there's times when we need to have a firm tone, right? And he said, I wish I was with you because if he was with them, he could, they could see his heart. They could see his love. They could see his passion, right? He says, I'm perplexed about you. Why would you turn away from Christ alone and try to do this on your own? It, you know, I understand our tone as Christian ministers, and, and it's something that, 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 that my wife, pretty much anyone, and, and I have, I'm, I'm blessed to have probably, I don't know, 30 people that I'm in relationship with that speak into my life. Um, that have a place in my life, that has, have, a, have an authority in my life, that, that, that we have such deep relationship that they can share their heart with me. I can often have a tone that's, that's wrong, that's sinful, that's overbearing. Um, you know, sometimes it's needed, right? But Ephesians 4 says that we need to speak the truth, you know, in love, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, it's... Uh, You know, the world considers us intolerant because we vehemently stand for Jesus Christ alone, for the forgiveness of the sins of all people and the salvation of their soul. The scripture is clear. All eight billion people alive in the world today need Jesus. And without Jesus, they'll perish and spend eternity in hell separated from God in torment. So it's not that we're intolerant. And again, forgive me where my tone isn't isn't where it needs to be, but it's a it's a, hopefully it's a tone of 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 desperation, because because the Bible is clear. God has given His word. Again, if 
you're a man or a woman and you're giving, you give your word, you ought to keep it. God will never break his word. The Bible's the word of God and he's given his word that without Christ, no one will see heaven and only eternal hell awaits. And so, again, uh, forgive me, sometimes the tone is heavy handed, but the tone hopefully is one of desperation of, again, just laboring in childbirth to see the entire world receive spiritual and eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, Father, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive us where we have failed in our tone and help me to be to have eyes that see and ears that hear and to just to use wisdom, but to, to drive people in your word to Jesus Christ, Father. Help us in Jesus' name. Verse 21, Paul says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? And this is pretty amazing. So they're coming in and he's speaking now to these leaders who have come in and said that you need to be under the law and all of their followers. Okay. They were, you know, they were coming in with these high and lofty ideas on the law and they didn't even understand the law themselves. Okay. This is common in biblical Christianity today. People are zealous to talk about the word of God. They're zealous to talk about the Bible, but they really don't even understand what they're talking about. Okay. Uh, one of the greatest privileges there is, is to speak and teach the word of God. I've been studying this book for nearly 25 years, and, and I feel like I have so far to go, there are no words, okay? There's really no one qualified to do this ever except Jesus, but by his mercy, Ephesians 4 says he did give to the church, to the entire body of Christ. He's not, he wasn't talking about little buildings, but he did give to the church universal, all those who are Christians, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so he has gifted us by his grace. He's opened our eyes. And I believe I've been given that gift, right, as a teacher of the word of God. And so, we, you know, we're, we teach the word of God by his grace and by his mercy, but we need to understand, we need to be diligent in our study. Paul says, tell me, you, you who want to be under the law, you who are saying, okay, believe in Jesus, but we also got to be under the law of Moses. You have to be circumcised if you're a man. You have to follow all the dietary laws. You have to follow all the traditions. Um, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Do you even know what you're talking about? Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Okay, so Abraham, because he was desperate, his wife Sarah was desperate, they had no child, they took matters into their own hands. Abraham, uh, Sarah had a, a slave in her house called Hagar, and in her zeal to have a child out of her own effort, she told her husband Abraham, go and, you know, um, sleep with Hagar so that she can conceive, and then we'll have a baby through my slave, Hagar. Foolishly, Abraham agreed to the plan. Sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant. All of it happens in the natural way. It happened in their own efforts. It had nothing to do with God. It was sinful. It wasn't his plan. And they produced a child called Ishmael, okay? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. So, this son that he had 
by, and, and you can see it in Genesis 21, right? This son that he had in, in 20 uh, by, uh, by Hagar, okay, she was again his wife, Sarah's slave, and it happened in the natural way. They took matters into their own hands. Um, they were too old now to have children, and so they took, you know, they weren't waiting on God, and they did it in their own efforts, okay? So the child by the slave woman, in verse 22, for it is written in the Old Testament scriptures, the Holy Bible, that Abraham had two sons. Paul's now going to masterfully teach them the word of God, and it's just going to blow your mind. He's going to show you how to understand the word of God. It's a model for us on how to teach the word of God. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, right, David? One by the slave woman, Ishmael, and the other by the free woman, Sarah, okay? Verse 23, Sarah had Isaac. Verse 23, his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, as we already had just said, right? They got impatient and in their own efforts, Sarah said, you know, take my slave Hagar, sleep with her. She'll get pregnant. We'll have a son in that way because we can't have kids anymore. I'm rolling 90. You're near 100. Okay. And so, yes, physically they were done. Right. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. Again, that came about by, you know, Abraham taking, you know, his wife's slave Hagar, sleeping with her. She conceived. And they had a son, Ishmael. But his son born by the free woman was born as, a, as the result of a promise. So Sarah is the free woman. It says, but his son born by the free woman, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, was born as the result of a promise. God had promised Abraham that you will have a son by your wife, Sarah. And he believed that. Genesis 6 said, said that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was made right with God by his faith in the word of God, that he would have a son with his wife, Sarah, even though they were both decades past childbearing years, and that through that son, Isaac, the Savior, the Messiah would, would come. And he was saved and made right with God by his belief and faith, not by his own efforts. In this same way, okay, his son born by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. That is by his own efforts, right? He took and, and, uh, and slept with his, his wife's slave, Hagar, and in the ordinary way, Hagar get pregnant, right? Hagar became pregnant. But his son, born by the free woman, was born as a result of the promise. Actually, Sarah did conceive after this, and it happened not in their own efforts. It happened by faith in the promise of God that Abraham would have a son with his wife, Sarah, even though she was decades past, past uh, childbearing. You see it? It's incredible. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. So it wasn't done in their own efforts. It was done by the, the promise that God would give them a son, even though they were decades past childbearing years. And Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the son of the promise. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, okay? The son born not as a result of the promise, but as a result of the law, of their own efforts or their own works. Verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively, as I was just explaining. Verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively, right, Esther? For the women represent two covenants, 
One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Okay, the covenant on Mount Sinai was the covenant of the law, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. Okay, that law puts you in slavery. The law enslaves you because you can't follow it. Okay, none of us can follow the moral law of God. None of us can, can perfectly follow the Ten Commandments. So, you know, the law puts us in slavery. It shows us that we're sinful that we're hopeless, and that we need a Savior. We cannot perfectly follow the law of God, and therefore we are hopeless, helpless, desperate. We need a Savior, okay? These things may be taken figuratively. Verse 24, look at the argument of Paul, the masterful argument. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar, okay? Again, this represents the birth of, the child that Hagar had with Abraham, that Abraham had with Hagar and gave birth to Ishmael. Verse 25. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. At that time and even today, the present city of Jerusalem is still in the slavery of verse 25. Okay, meaning that they still haven't come to God by faith in the coming Messiah as Abraham did. They still haven't believed in Christ and trusted in Christ, right? The vast majority of the Jewish people, almost all of them in, in Jerusalem, are still trying to be made right with God. The, the Jewish people there are trying to be made right with God through following the law of God, and the, the Islamic people there are, being, are, are trying to be made right with God in the same way and by doing all the good works that they can. Both of them are in slavery. None of them can perfectly follow the law. <clears throat> All of them, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, New Age, every single person in the world needs to understand you cannot be made right with God through your own good life. You cannot perfectly obey the word of God in any way. Okay, We all fall short. Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. In chapter three, Paul said that the scripture has confined Galatians chapter three. The, the scripture has confined the whole world under sin. Right. Um, it's verse 22, chapter three. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Again, the promise was that Abraham, again, would have a son. Right. Not in his own efforts, but with his wife, Sarah, that God would bless her womb, would open her womb, even though she's decades past childbearing, and they would have a son, Isaac, and then through Isaac would come the Savior, Jesus Christ, and in Jesus, all nations, God promised, would be saved and become right with God through their faith in Jesus Christ, right? Does that make sense? But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Okay, Again, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, believing that he came and lived a perfect, light, righteous life for you, died a perfect, righteous, torturous death for you, and has been raised from the dead. And that by you receiving him, John 1.12, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting in him, relying on him, clinging to him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Um, now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So again, then in Paul's day, almost all the Jewish people were not, had not received Jesus Christ as Savior, so they were still in slavery under the law. Okay? And again, Paul is masterfully teaching this here in, uh, in Galatians chapter 4. Even today, the present city of Jerusalem is almost entirely still in slavery. They have not received the promise. They're still trying to be made right with God in their own efforts, and it can never work. Have mercy, Lord. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. For it is written, be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So the second covenant is a heavenly covenant. Okay? The first covenant is an earthly covenant that God made with Moses when he gave him the law and the Ten Commandments right? On Mount Sinai, right? But the Jerusalem that is above, that's the second covenant. It's a heavenly covenant, right? It's not an earthly covenant. It's a, it's a heavenly covenant made with God in heaven that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that, Corinne? Wow, Uncle Dennis. But the Jerusalem that is above in heaven, it's a heavenly covenant, is free, Okay, salvation comes, salvation is a free gift from God. It comes by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a free gift and brings freedom and spiritual life in Christ. And it says, and she is our mother, right? It, it's, it's a metaphor that, that she gave us birth, birth in Jesus Christ, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? This, this, this heavenly covenant. Verse 27, for it is written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. At that time, there were, I believe this is Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, I believe that's it, that, that Paul is quoting here. At that time, there were very, very few comparative Christians, okay? There would have been millions and millions of Jews, okay? that were still, you know, uh, believing in, in, in the law, that were believing in the Old Testament, that were believing in, you know, and in, in trusting in, you know, the law, right? And there would have been very few comparative Christians, right? But Paul quotes Isaiah here saying that the time's going to come, will there be a lot more children of the heavenly Jerusalem, there'll be a lot more children of promise than there are Jewish people who are trusting, you know, in Jesus Christ, that are trusting in the law, that are trusting in their own good works, right? And so when he says, be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman. Now, there are far, far, far more Christians than there are Jews, right? So the heavenly Jerusalem, the second covenant, the covenant of God's grace that's free in Jesus Christ has now produced billions more 
Christians and people that are saved and free in Jesus Christ than there are Jews. So again, what are we saying? Practically, this has come to pass, right? At the time Paul wrote this, there were far more Jews than Christians. Now, there are far more Christians. And when I say far more Jews, Jews who were were trying to rely on the law of Moses to be saved, not Jews who were trusting in Christ alone. Now there are, again, billions of Christians where there are comparatively few in the millions of Jews that are still trying to trust in their own good life and, and the, you know, and following the Ten Commandments to be saved. Now, now, let me be clear. It's good for us to try to obey the Word of God. It's good to obey the Ten Commandments, but, but they don't save us at all, right? You know, we have them as a good guide, but it has nothing to do with our salvation. Again, it's important for us to understand that our salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. It comes by God's grace. It's, it's unmerited to us. We don't deserve it. We deserve eternal hell and separation from God. But in Jesus Christ, when we receive Christ as a gift for salvation, right, it comes by God's grace through our faith and confidence and trust and reliance in Jesus alone, right? We're saved from our sin and we go to heaven by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. All right, finishing up, verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. So again, remember, Abraham had two children. One came in the natural, ordinary way by their own efforts, right? Abraham and Sarah tried to, in their own effort, make a child, and they did do it in their own effort. That was through Hagar, who had Ishmael. But he says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. The promise was that God would open Sarah's womb, even though she's decades past childbearing, and that she would have a son by Abraham. And he would allow Abraham to to get her pregnant, again, even though he's well past that time of being able to do that, right? And so God's promise came to pass. And out of that promise, Sarah did get pregnant by Abraham and gave birth to the child of promise, Isaac. And through the line of Isaac, the, you know, the genealogy of Isaac, the genetic line of Isaac came the savior, Jesus Christ. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ, right? Have the faith of Abraham. When he believed God's promise, he was made right with God. You and I believe the promise of salvation by God's grace alone, through our faith, trust, reliance, and hope in Jesus Christ alone, right? See, we believe the promise of eternal life, not based on us following the law, not based on us doing good works, not based on our own efforts, but by believing in Christ and trusting in Christ. Do you see how masterfully Paul is weaving this? Verse 29, at that time, the son born in the ordinary way, Ishmael was born in the ordinary way, Sarah and Abraham concocted this idea, right? At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. Christians are still consistently persecuted throughout the world through saying that Jesus Christ is the only way. And what Paul is saying here is that, you know, and this would be common in all families, is that Ishmael, you know, just, you know, kind of bullied or persecuted his little brother Isaac, right? They were living in the same house, right? Notice everything was fine, right? When it was just, you know, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael. But now the child of the promise comes, right? 
And, uh, you know, as they're starting to grow up together, Ishmael is starting to persecute Isaac, his little brother, right? And again, that's common in families. I'm sure there was jealousy. There could have been a lot of reasons, right? At that time, the son born in the ordinary way, Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, Isaac. Paul said it's the same now. And again, there is still persecution all over the world for the church for standing on Christ alone. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Quote, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Um, I believe that's Genesis 21.10. And that's where they're not getting along. Sarah has her son Isaac through the promise. And now there's just all kinds of conflict. And Sarah is angry and tells Abraham to get rid of that woman and... and, and uh, and God agrees and convicts Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar are sent away. And it seems harsh, but we can see that today. It doesn't mix is what Paul is saying. But what does the scripture say? And understand this. In Genesis 21.10, Paul's going back 1,500 years and says, 2,000 years, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share any inheritance with the free woman's son. So again, everything was fine until the promise came about. Isaac is born, the son of the promise. Now there's conflict in the family, and, you know, Hagar and Ishmael have to be sent away, okay? And again, Paul's using that as a picture that they, they don't mix. The inheritance doesn't mix. And it says, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. As free, people who receive the free gift of salvation, we have the inheritance of eternal life, okay? And, and for those who are trying to be made right with God by being under the law of Moses or being made right with God by, by their own efforts and doing good works, okay, you're in slavery, you're in death, okay? You cannot get the inheritance. They don't mix. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, and then trying to, trying to be made right with God and justified before God by your own efforts. They don't mix. They won't share. And Paul shows you this physical picture of it in the Old Testament. It's profound. Verse 31, therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So do you see how masterful he's woven this? It's incredible. I mean, it's it's so deep. I mean, again, I, I feel like I could go for another 30 minutes and I gotta end it here. But you see how we've broken this down? Do you see how Paul is teaching the word of God here, May? How how skillfully he's teaching the word of God. They didn't even know the word of God. So he's showing them that that everything you think you know in the law, everything you know in your Bible, you're not you're not reading it right, you're not understanding it right. Okay. We ought to be studying our Bible with with tremendous effort, okay? You just don't do some cursory reading of the Bible, Auntie Jackie, right? And just think you know what you're doing. I've said this before. It's amazing, okay? Um, if we needed brain surgery, would we go to someone who had spent like, you know, four, five, six hours in their life, maybe 10 hours studying up on brain surgery? It's ridiculous. We would want a man or woman who would given 20, 25, 30 years of their life in studying brain surgery. And really, you know, digging into it and has immense experience, of course, right? But somehow, in the matters of God in the Bible, everybody gets to have an opinion and you'll listen to just anybody. 
someone who has given no time to it at all, someone who's dabbled in it a few hours here. Maybe they've, you know, they've read the Bible once. Maybe they spent a total of 10 hours in it, but they get to have an opinion. All right. It's wrong. Okay. And Paul here is showing them through his thousands and thousands of hours. Right, Father Rick, of study in the word of God. If you're in Jesus Christ today, you're not a children, a child of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Again, you are a child of promise. And the promise is that if you'll trust and give your life to Jesus Christ today and receive him, as John 1.12 said to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The promise is that you'll get eternal life and you'll be saved You'll be forgiven of your sin, past, present, and future. The perfect, righteous life Jesus lived will be credited to you. You'll be made right with God. God the Father will be your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ will be your Lord and Savior and Master and King. And the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, will be your guide, your counselor, and your comforter. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your grace, your wonder, your love. We thank you for our Bible. Father, we thank you for these scriptures, but Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, only in Jesus is anything, is any of this worth anything at all, Father. Without Jesus, there is no meaning in life. There is no purpose. Everything is worthless. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our God, the Son of God, God the Son. We thank you that you came and lived a perfect life for us, died a perfect death for us. We thank you that you're alive and risen, Lord Jesus. And we worship you today, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. Seal this teaching to our hearts. We thank you for it. Give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.